BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know. What were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me. And with the NBA offseason winding down, I want to take a deep dive into a couple of the more interesting teams uh, this offseason. We'll begin in Cleveland with the Cavaliers, who for obvious reasons uh, are compelling. Uh, the trade involving Kyrie Irving, what does that mean for the Cavs, both short-term and long-term? We check in with Jason Lloyd. Does a great job covering the Cavs uh, for the Athletic. He joins me first. Then we move over to New York and the Knicks, who are entering the uh, post Phil Jackson era with Carmelo Anthony still on the roster. Some questions around Kristaps Porzingis. Mark Berman, who covers the Knicks for the New York Post, he drops by as well. Quick housekeeping note if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, let's go. But an interesting few months uh, in Cleveland with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, back in June, they get to the NBA Finals, third straight time there. Uh, enter the offseason. You know, maybe they can't beat Golden State, but looks like they have another great chance to control the East once again. Then you have Kyrie Irving's trade demand. And just last week, we had the finalization of a deal involving Kyrie Irving. He goes to Boston, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, Ante Zizic, and uh, uh, the Brooklyn Nets first-round pick. Uh, goes to Cleveland. We'll talk about all this and, and what it all means for this year and moving forward. 
Uh, let's bring in Jason Lloyd from The Athletic. Uh, covers the Cavaliers out there for theathletic.com. Jason, kind enough to join me here on the podcast. What's up, Jason? I'm great, Chris. How are you? Oh, you know, it's, 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 we're finally entering an offseason. So I, I think we'll just <laughs> take a couple Just in time off. for the next season to begin. Just, just in time. <laughs> just in time. I know you get these emails, too. The, the training camps open emails, that's always like a cringeworthy moment. It's like, oh, yes. God, yes. media day. Oh, oh, oh. I don't want to go. Oh, oh. Uh, all right, so I, I guess we start back at kind of the beginning here and and the trade demand. H- how surprised were you as somebody that covers the team uh, every day to that, that Kyrie Irving asked for a trade? I was surprised. I was, and I had heard throughout the summer that Kyrie was, uh, was upset with the organization. And that dated back to pre-draft trade rumors uh, when his name was brought up in relation to a trade with Phoenix, uh, you know, it was my understanding that that kind of upset him and irritated him, and, and he wasn't speaking to members of the Cavs organization pretty much all summer. And the, the stuff with LeBron surprised me because I thought they had worked through a lot of that, and I guess that's my own stupidity or naivety. Uh, I, I thought that they had moved past some of that stuff, and clearly they hadn't. So that kind of caught me by surprise a little bit. It had always been out there that, you know, when Kyrie signed on, when he signed his max extension to stay in Cleveland, it was with the understanding that he was going to be the face of the franchise. And then three weeks later, a month later, LeBron came back and all that went out the window. Um, but I, I just thought that in, in time and, and the championship season and some of the, the, the stage that Kyrie was able to play on because of LeBron's return to Cleveland, I thought that he had moved past some of that. And clearly he hadn't. You know, when I talk to some of the players in Cleveland over the last couple of months, the, the, the common thing I hear back is that Kyrie's just a different kind of guy, that he's not your, your usual kind of superstar, that he's sort of an introverted type of guy, that, that all this was him kind of getting inside his own head. It had less to do with LeBron than, than himself there. I mean, what, what kind of guy is Kyrie, and, 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 and what do you make of that? Well, I've been with that guy since day one, prior to day one. I was in the room the night that the Cavs won the lottery combination, the ping-pong ball combination to draft him. I was in the room that night when they pulled the ping-pong balls, and Kyrie happened to be at the draft lottery because it was in Secaucus, and he was obviously from New Jersey, so it was right around the corner from him. So I have been with him from day one, and but I cannot sit here and tell you that I know him inside and out and up and down. Uh, that, that I just I don't. Uh, I've been with him longer than anybody in the media, and there's still a lot that I don't know about him. He he is he's very he has walls around him, and he knows that. He's he's we've made reference to that. I've had a lot of good conversations with him over the years about that sort of thing, uh, and and it's it's true, it's very true that he just kind of walks to his own beat. And you know, players would tell me during the the postseason run up to the finals, there were days where he would come in and not talk to anybody, mm. and that's just him. Like that wasn't. That that's just that's just his personality and the way he is. And players that come to learn to just leave him alone, and sooner or later he'll snap out of it, figure it out, and come around and start engaging again, engage them in conversations. But that's just who he is, and that's how he's been. And and for for whatever reason, personality related, upbringing, I, you know, I don't know. But that's just that's just the type of guy he is. That and he has tried to say repeatedly. You know, he said it is. Uh, opening press conference in Boston that there's things that are important to him outside of basketball. And, and he's tried to stress that fact in his time here in Cleveland. Um, and 
I'm curious to see how this works going forward. I'm curious to see how he how he, how he handles this and manages this now in Boston because this is the situation he wanted where he wanted to be the face of a franchise, and now it's up to him to perform and produce. You know, one when this story first broke, uh, Jason, I, I I wondered if LeBron James would reach out and and try to find a way to fix this. Uh, I know it's not really. I, I knew it was unlikely, but I thought if there was any way to kind of resolve what was going on. Uh, with this situation that LeBron could could potentially do it. Uh, I don't know how he'd do it, but I think he could reach out and, and do something. There. Did it surprise you at all that, that LeBron didn't make any types of moves to try to, at least not that we know about, to try to keep Kyrie around? Yeah, it's my understanding that they never spoke, that they never did speak this summer. Uh, is it surprising? Yeah, a little bit. But at the same time, I don't think LeBron is ever going to go chase a guy into the wilderness. You know, he'll recruit a guy to come to him. But he's not going to go chase a guy to stay with him, I guess, is, is the best way to put it. So I, I can understand why from that vantage point of LeBron feeling like, if you don't want to be here, then we, we can win without you. Uh, and that's just me. That, that's not him. That's just me speculating on that. On you know, People have asked me, what do you think LeBron thinks about this? And I think I've been around him long enough to understand that LeBron will always tell a guy, do what's best for your family. You know, what, what you think is best for your personal life and your family. He will never be critical of a player for making a move. Uh, in that regard, but in this instance, when it, it directly involves him, I, I think he feels like we'll just win without you, and you know we'll compete with the guys that we've got in the locker room. So, did it surprise me? Yeah, it did. But at the same time, you know, I don't think it's LeBron's mo to go chasing after guys uh, because really we've never seen a situation like this where the best player in the game and there's somebody asking off of his team, another star asking off of his team. Normally, it's guys taking less money to come play with him. So, uh, you know, I think it probably caught him off guard a little bit. Um, took him by surprise maybe a little bit, and, and I just felt like he didn't want to go chasing after guys. You know, it's funny. Um, a lot of this depends on Isaiah's health, but in a strange way, look, they're not better with Isaiah Thomas, but if they can get out of the East, they, they might be, it might sound crazy, but they might be better equipped to play against Golden State with the guys that they have now. And and look, I, I don't know what Isaiah is going to be next year. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a top five MVP player. That's for sure. I think he kind of maxed out this past season in Boston, but I think people are undervaluing the, the, the presence of Jay Crowder. I think he's a, you know, not a great defensive player, but a very good defensive player who can, uh, you know, fill in some of the gaps uh, coming off the bench. If you put him in a bench role, I think he's pretty good. I mean, you know, let's assume for the sake of argument that by mid season, Isaiah Thomas is healthy and, and 90% of what he was last year uh, in Boston. What do you think this team looks like? I think the Crowder move is good for them. It's very good for them. Uh, you know, part of the problem that they had last year with the Warriors was finding someone who could guard KD. They didn't have anyone outside of LeBron. And, you know, 37-year-old Richard Jefferson, I had a good conversation with them on this after game four last year in Cleveland where RJ said he was begging Ty to put him on KD, not because he felt like he was some big KD stopper, but he just felt like they were asking too much of LeBron. And he's like, what other team asks their best player to do everything that we are asking him to do on the offensive end? And then, oh, by the way, guard Kevin Durant on the defensive end. So they needed more bodies. They needed more athletic wings, guys who can guard on the perimeter for that series. Absolutely, 100%, yes. But I'm still... I, I am not as high on this trade as a lot of people are. I know a lot of people have said that the Cavs knocked it out of the park and they did a great job. I am not. I'm much more uh, speculative. I, I don't know what the right word is, but I, I'm, I'm not as high on this trade as a lot of other people are just because of the Isaiah factor. I think that you're, you know, from the basic principle of it, 
Tyloo's best defense, his favorite defense, uh, is, is to switch everything on pick and rolls. I don't know how you're going to do that against the Warriors with Isaiah Thomas. And that's not taking anything away from Isaiah, who has proven to be an unbelievable competitor. But just the size of him, I just don't know how you're going to be able to switch and put him on some of the guys over there. And, and that's, what, that's always been a staple of Ty. So that's, that's a big problem that they're going to have to figure out uh, on the defensive end, how you're going to handle this. And, and I, just, I just don't know how you can sit here and say the Cavs are deeper. They are 100% deeper than they were just because of the addition of Crowder. But I'm not ready to call them better because I, I think Kyrie has proven that he can make some money shots at some clutch situations. And he is not afraid of the situation. And that's not to say that Isaiah is, but Kyrie, for all of his warts, he, he does have warts. He is unbelievable with the ball in his hands, and I, I just think that LeBron learned to trust him as a, as a really as a primary scoring option. Uh, there was a lot of issues that those two had to work through early on where LeBron tried to make Kyrie more aware of the other players on the floor and try to make him a better distributor and tried to make the players around him better. But when it came time to put the ball in the basket, LeBron trusted Kyrie to do that. And now as they start over here, I just wonder – with LeBron and, and, and Isaiah now having to figure out how to play together, if some of those issues that LeBron and Kyrie had early in their career, how those creep up again. Uh, you know, Isaiah can very much be a ball-dominant guard. So how is he going into a contract year looking for a max deal? How is he going to feel about sharing the, the ball with, with LeBron? And if he is injured, obviously he's injured. Depending on when he comes back, is there going to be enough time to figure this out before you get to the playoffs? So I just have a lot more questions. And that isn't even getting to the pick. You know, the pick's great, fine. I have a hard time believing the Cavs are going to trade that pick. Just from everything that, from people I've talked to in Boston, uh, people in Cleveland, knowing what I know of the situation, I have a hard time believing they're going to turn around and trade that pick prior to the trade deadline. I think that pick is security in case LeBron leaves next summer. And they aren't trading that pick in my mind. Never say never. I could be wrong. They could surprise me. Dan could change his mind between now and the trade deadline. But as we sit here today, I have a hard time believing they're going to trade that pick without a commitment from LeBron that he's going to be in Cleveland beyond one more season. And LeBron's not going to give him that commitment. Not, not yet. Uh, so I just, when you take that pick out of the equation, I have a hard time sitting here right now saying that the Cavs are a better team today than they were before the trade. Yeah, let's unpack some of that. Um, you know, you're 100% right about how do you play Isaiah against Golden State. People point to the Celtics beating Golden State in Oakland last year, but you know, Durant didn't play in that game, and you can play Isaiah when you can hide him on somebody, and they hit him on Patrick McCaw in that game, and that's why Boston uh, was able to win. They've got very good defensive guards or had defensive guards last year, and uh, when Isaiah can just sort of you know hide away on a McCaw or a Matt Barnes even, um, sure. it, it's fine. When, when you have to switch him on a Durant or whatever Golden State would be at full strength, uh, you're in a lot of trouble, just like they were almost in trouble in that Washington series uh, when Isaiah didn't have... Uh, anybody to guard but you know w- with that that draft pick I- i'm i'm just not convinced it lands in the top five anyway i mean i'm maybe i'm more Agreed. bullish maybe i'm more no, bullish I'm than that yeah all right good because I, I look I, I saw a lot of the nets living in new york last year and towards the end of the season and you know they were extremely undermanned i mean you know they had injuries and inconsistency but first of all they played hard second of all i think they got better uh if they're healthy next year i mean they're not going to be anywhere near good but in the the, the jv conference with, with teams around them uh, you know, actively trying to lose, I can easily see that pick winding up in the five six range. Yeah, and that's that's a great point that I didn't even get to, but you're hundred percent right. There's no by no means is this a guarantee it's a number one pick. And I, I'm with you. Brooklyn is not going to be good. You know, that's not 
You can't get crazy the other way. But they they added D'Angelo Russell, who's a better player than anyone else that they had last year, that's for sure. Uh, they, they have no reason to tank because they have no pick. So they're, they're going to play as hard as they can and as well as they can. And the, the pick would probably hold more value now before the draft lottery is set as we get into the season see just what Brooklyn looks like as compared to some of these other teams in the East that appear to have hit the eject button already. Uh, but I just, I just don't see them trading it. And, and, and another part of that is, who are you going to trade it on? Who are you going to use it for? Because, as you know, and I've said this before, it's rare for players of this caliber to be traded. And we've had three go in one offseason. When you're talking Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Kyrie, it's rare to see that many stars trade, change teams in one summer. And I'm just not convinced that there's going to be more to go. The Marcus Cousins thing is out there, fine, whatever. Uh, Anthony Davis, I can't believe the Pelicans would actually consider trading him, entertain the thought of trading him right now. I just don't know who the next big thing is who who is going to be worth that pick and if he's going to become available between now and February. So so that's another – it's a great trade bait piece to have, but you got to have the right guy available, and it's hard to find. It's hard to get those guys available. They don't become available very often. So I just have a hard time believing. And again, beyond all that, besides all that, the Cavs have very subtly been preparing for a future without LeBron. And I, I wrote this earlier, and people thought it was crazy. But when they passed on Jamal Crawford and signed Jetty Osman instead, that was a telling move to me because Jamal is the guy that LeBron wanted to play with. And the Cavs instead chose a rookie, an overseas rookie who no one knows a whole lot about. And from people I've talked to, seen him play, feel like he's a rotation player. Yeah, fine. But he's by no means a superstar. And yet they, they sided with the young guy over the veteran. And it's well documented. LeBron doesn't like playing with kids. He, LeBron likes veterans. He likes playing with guys who have been around, who know what it takes to win a championship. I mean, he even said it last year when we were in New Orleans and, and he went on his rant against the organization last year. He even singled out. Kay Felder and DeAndre Liggins at the time and said, you know, no offense to these guys, they're good guys, but we can't count on them to win. And and yet the Cavs turned away from a veteran who they know he wanted and instead signed a rookie. And that, to me, was the first kind of telling move in their plan to start preparing for a life without LeBron. And this trade, to me, falls right in line with that. So let's get into that. Um, you know, what do you think that LeBron, where do you think LeBron's at right now with with what he wants in his career, do you think he's resolved to leave at the end of the year? Do you think he's, you know, open to any possibility? Do you think there's already? I mean, we know that he's got to be thinking something. It may not be what eventually comes to fruition, but you know, this guy is calculating as they come. I mean, he's got to be thinking something at this point. What do you think? Where, where do you think he's at? I think he's probably frustrated a little bit because of what I just said with the with the passing on Jamal Crawford to instead sign a rookie. Uh, I think he's probably a little frustrated with this trade just because, you know, the pick doesn't mean anything to him. So they just traded his number two, his, his top sidekick, for an injured point guard and Jay Crowder, who, again, I think helps them. I, I think that's a really good get for them. But he's not Kyrie, and he's not Kyrie to this team. So, and, and Zizic is an unknown at this point. You know, I'm talking about right now, we're talking LeBron and this season. I think he's probably a little bit frustrated. Now, that's not to say that he's going to leave. He very well could leave, but it's so far away. A lot can happen in a year, and a lot can change in a year. And it's going to depend on how the Cavs fare this season and and what they show in the postseason, what they show against the Warriors, if they make it there. So there's a lot that can happen between now and then. But, you know, I think he's probably 
frustrated with some of the things that have gone on. He was very much a vocal proponent of David Griffin. We haven't talked about that, the, the removal of Griff as GM and, and bringing in Kobe Altman. Uh, the Chauncey Books thing fell through. So there's just been a lot of upheaval and change within the Cavs organization right now. And I think he wants to wait and see how it all looks. But, I, I, you know, I think if he was to be honest with you, he's probably a little bit frustrated with some of the things that have gone on. Yeah, and the walls have kind of come down between uh, Gilbert and, and LeBron. It was always an uneasy alliance. They are never friends, uh, of course. But now you really only have Kobe Altman standing between Gilbert and, and LeBron. How would you characterize the relationship between those two guys right now? Between LeBron and Dan? Yeah. I don't know if they've ever had one. And and that's the thing. Like It's not even that one that could deteriorate. Because they never really had one. And I know one of Dan's frustrations early on in ownership was he felt like, because LeBron was already here when Dan bought the team. And I know early, going back years and years ago, I, I, Dan wishes that he could have been here when LeBron first came into the franchise because I, I think he feels like things could have been different if, LeBron, if Dan had already owned the team and was already in place when, when LeBron came here, but LeBron beat him here. And so Dan always struggled to gain some sort of traction with him. Now, would it really have been different? I don't really know. Um, you know, I don't think LeBron and Mickey Harrison were overly close either during his time in Miami. That's just not the way that he operates. Uh, so it's not like this. there's been this fallout, this relationship deteriorated with the letter and everything else, because there was never really a relationship to begin with. So there was not, not one for, there was nothing to deteriorate. So I really don't think the relationship between LeBron and Dan will play any role in whether or not LeBron stays or goes. I really don't. Now, some of the decisions that are made within the team could very much impact that and dictate that. But the relationship between the two of them, I really don't think will play a role. So what's your read on, on Isaiah and his health? I mean, you know, when I talked to Brad Stevens in late August before this trade even went down, it was, you know, we're not sure. And it was a September scan is going to tell us a lot. And then Danny comes out and says, you know, he might miss the start of the season. I mean, what's your understanding and, or at least the Cavs understanding of, of where Isaiah is health wise. The way it has been described to me is in, both Boston and Cleveland doctors have, have checked him out and obviously world-class facilities in both cities. Uh, so we're talking about the best of the best doctors. Mm-hmm. And I've had people tell me that both teams kind of look at that and scratch their heads and they're not sure what to make of them because it's not just a tear. And I wrote this last week on the athletic. It isn't just the tear. And in fact, it's, it's been described to me that the tear isn't really the major issue here. The problem with Isaiah is it's sort of a, a mixing pot of problems. He's got some deterioration of cartilage in the hip. There's arthritis in the hip. There's still some inflammation in the hip. And there's a few more minor sort of issues that on their own are very treatable and it's not a big deal. But when you put them all together and you combine it with the hip tear, that's why everyone has been very slow to put any sort of timetable on when he's going to be back. Because frankly, I, I just, I'm just not sure people really know yet. They have to have an idea in their head, certainly, but no one has shared it with me. I haven't gotten a firm timeline from anyone in Boston or Cleveland on when they expect them to be back. So it, that's really the, the complication now is it's not just a tear. And that's why he said, you know, Isaiah said that surgery was not the best option for him. Because, like I said, I talked to people who said that the tear isn't really the main issue here. It's all of these other underlying issues when you combine with the tear is is kind of what the holdup is with him. Uh, you know, I've talked to other people that have dealt with hip tears, labrum tears in the hip, who felt like he could be out till January. Uh, that's just that, that's nothing, that's nothing to do with Isaiah's case specifically. It's just people who have dealt with hip tears in the past. Uh, and the Cavs have said they're going to go very slow with him. They're in no rush. They want to be cautious with him and give him time to heal. 
uh, they've made it very clear, you know, in talking to people in the organization privately, they've made it clear that Isaiah was not the focal point of this trade, even though he was billed as that uh, publicly in the media. He was not the center point of the trade. The focal point for them was the draft pick. And and so, you know, I'm not sure Isaiah's part of their long-term plans. He's in the final year of his deal. I don't see this organization committing to him big dollars. Uh, again, I could be wrong. I'd never say never. I've been, I've been wrong plenty of times prior. But I just don't see them committing big dollars to him next summer. So it's kind of a strange situation all the way around for him to be in, for Isaiah to be in, because he's with this new team. Uh, he's rehabbed this injury. He owes them nothing. You know, he, he owes Cleveland nothing. He, he poured his heart and soul out for Boston, but what does he really owe Cleveland? Mm. Uh, he wants his next contract, certainly, and he's got to play well for that. But there's just a lot of strange factors around Isaiah right now, and I'm curious to see how this all plays out. He's going to be in a tough emotional place, too. I mean, you, you hit it there that he, he really poured everything into Boston. I mean, it was a short time with the Celtics, but, I mean, he, his run was – and last year's playoff run was one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen uh, in basketball, oh, yeah. the way he played. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting when he comes back, just kind of what emotional place he's in and, and where he's at mentally. Obviously, he wants to get paid, so he's going to have to play well, but – uh, I think that that certainly bears watching. Uh, let me let me finish with this, uh, Jason. You, you mentioned David Griffin, and you know, look, I, I can understand him being valuable uh, this season, and and certainly in terms of any type of conversation with LeBron about the future. But do you think if he stayed on, anything would have happened differently? Do you think he could have resolved the Kyrie situation? He might have gotten a better deal. Do you think anything's different with the Cavs if Griffin was in charge now and not Kobe Altman? You know, that's such an interesting question. People have asked me that. I've gotten that a couple of times this summer. And the best way for me to answer that is that Griff was a very good communicator. Uh, he, he was very good with the media. He's got a communications background. So he's, a, he's an excellent communicator. But the thing that's interesting to me is what I said earlier. Griff was the one that engineered the Phoenix trade, uh, that kind of where Kyrie was upset to begin with, where it was my understanding Kyrie found out that his name was linked to the Suns and was upset that his name had been brought up in trade rumors and then said, okay, fine, then now I want out. So I, I don't know if, if Griff would have been able to salvage that part of it since that was David's doing. And by the way, that trade, I think from the Cavs' perspective, was far better than, than where they wound up. If they were, you know, in the final days that he was on the job, Griff negotiated with Phoenix and Indiana in the three-way deal that would have brought Paul George and Eric Bledsoe to Cleveland. And, and that sort of unraveled. I've heard five different explanations as to why that didn't go through. Um, and so I don't know what the truth is there, but that was close. I've had multiple people who were involved in that negotiation tell me that that was close to getting done. And I think for if we're talking about trying to win a championship and trying to win now and talking about this season, that trade would have been far better suited for the Cavs than what they wound up with. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. It, it would, would this situation be different if, if Rip was here? It's so hard to say. I, there's part of me that could say yes, and there's part of me that says, no, this still would have gone the same the way that it exactly did. Because like I said, David was the one who was here negotiating the Phoenix deal that involved Kyrie before any of this even happened. If, uh, if, if Cleveland says, you know, fuck it, Kyrie, you're coming to camp, uh, we're not trading you, what do you think would have happened? I was kind of pushing for that all along. I kind of thought that. Like, you know, you've got him for two more years. You've got all the control here. The problem with that is he's losing value every day. Yeah. Every day that every day that he gets closer to the end of that contract, he's losing a little bit more in value. And I think we've seen that. You know, for everyone who who's saying, you know, look what the Cavs got and then look what uh the Bulls got for Jimmy Butler and look what Indiana did for Paul George. Well, I think a big part of the difference is the extra year in the contract. That that's a big deal. And they, to know you got a guy for an extra season 
really increases the trade value. But at the same time, I, I just I just wonder. I know there, I've talked to people around LeBron who felt the same way. It was like, hey, just bring him to camp. Bring him to camp and let them sort it out. But I don't know how that would have gone because it's my understanding that uh, Kyrie's agent, Jeff Wexler, was making life pretty tough on the Cavs this summer and was really pushing to get him out. Kyrie wasn't even speaking to anyone in the organization. Uh, people across the organization, from the medical team players, had been reaching out to him this summer, and Kyrie wasn't speaking to anyone from the organization. And when you include what I said about, you know, his agent was pushing hard to get him out, it could have been ugly. And so I think that they they were trying to avoid that situation. Uh, but, boy, you, you just lost a really good talent. And, that, and again, Kyrie's got his warts, certainly. He's got his flaws. I'm not going to say he's the best point guard in the league because he's not. But you had a winning formula here that you knew was good enough to get back to the finals at minimum. And I, I, it's my personal belief that I think they were closer to the Warriors than the final 4-1 outcome. You know, they let Game 3 get away from them at the end. At home, they lost in the last two and a half minutes. Otherwise, that series could have looked a lot different. Uh, would they have still lost? Probably. But I just think that they were closer to Golden State at the end of last season than, than the 4-1 final score indicated. But I'm not sure that they've closed the gap now. I think, if anything, the Warriors have probably extended a little bit. Never boring in Cleveland, that's for sure. Uh, Never that boring. Team, that team. Jason, man, I appreciate it. Enjoy like the last like 36 hours of the offseason. <laughs> Before we get to do it all over again. Before we get to do it all over. Thanks for, uh, for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Before I get to Mark Berman, let me tell you about a great offer from Rocket Mortgage. Support for the Vertical Podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, head over to rocketmortgage.com slash Mannix. That's rocketmortgage.com slash Mannix. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. So it's never boring uh, in New York with the Knicks, and, and this season should be no different. Phil Jackson is gone. Uh, a new general manager is in place in Scott Perry. Christos Porzingis, we think, is satisfied by all this, but there could be issues with him and Jeff Hornacek. Talk about all this. Bring in Mark Berman does a great job uh, covering the Knicks for the New York Post, and he's uh, kind enough to join me here on the podcast. How are you, Mark? Hey, doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. All right, so I guess let's start with with sort of the vibe around the team. I know that that all this stuff went down in the offseason, but when you talk to people in the organization, I mean, how different a feeling is it uh, now that Phil is, is out of the picture? It's a completely different uh, approach. and uh, It really stems from the organization's belief that the triangle is really not the way to go anymore. I mean, there'll be some triangle principles, but they're not emphasizing it. They're not talking about it. They're talking about trying to rebuild with young players, athleticism. They're not talking about a system offense, so to speak. But there will be some triangle uh, principles. But 
it's just a different feeling. Scott Perry, the new GM, at his press conference said, I'm here to build bridges, not to uh, tear down bridges. And Phil, unfortunately, in his three years and three months, created a lot of ill will among some of the players. And obviously the Przingis situation was the breaking point. And now they're just trying to repair the damaged relationships. And basically, the playoffs is not their primary objective. I mean, when you talk about we just want to uh, cultivate our young players and we have all our draft picks moving forward, those are code words for tanking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the, like repairing the relationships. How difficult... Is that going to be? I mean, how poisoned was the well? I mean, we'll get to Carmelo Anthony in a second, but uh, you know, Porzingis in particular is just the removal of Phil Jackson and 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 playing a more free flowing offense. Does that solve uh, their Porzingis problem? No, not a hundred percent. And you know, Pete Vesey, who used to uh, write for the Post and he's writing for a, a website, and he had a very interesting piece uh, last week about Hornacek and Porzingis and their relationship, and one anecdote about Hornacek telling Hernan Gomez to <laughs> tell uh, your buddy, you know, to stop playing like a uh, dot, 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 an expletive, <laughs> and Porzingis was very offended, and Vesey wrote that that was one cause or the major cause for him not showing up for his exit meeting. I'm told that's not the case. I mean, there were multiple reasons, but sources definitely say uh, there were there was antagonism between Porzingis and Hornacek. Hornacek really rode him hard this season, this past season. But I think Jeff has really tried to uh, repair things, and he was planning to go out to Europe uh, to watch some of the uh, European championships. I don't know if he's going to get out there, but they're definitely communicating, and I think that Przingis realizes that it was just such a messed-up season in so many ways, and it was Hornacek's first year trying to run Phil's offense. So I I think the relationship between the two Bears watching, but I think that they're going to be able to to get along a lot better this season. So where are we, Mark, uh, with Carmelo? I mean, we know that the Rockets are interested, but you know there were a couple of of machinations of that deal that 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 I heard just weren't weren't going to make it work. There was something with Portland that that Myers Leonard, some they were trying to get the Blazers to take to get Myers Leonard off their books. I mean, the Rockets give them credit for creativity. I mean, they're, they're trying everything to make it work, but they just don't seem to be able to get the pieces in place that can make a deal like that happen. I mean, we're only a couple of weeks away, a few weeks away from from the official start of training camp. I mean, is how likely is it that Carmelo Anthony is there? Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be in Houston. And, you know, left unsaid, uh, the city is underwater right now. And, you know, does Carmelo want to head to Houston in two weeks when that city is in such disrepair? But, listen, he would go if the Knicks could work out uh, a deal. But they've been trying all summer and trying to get that 13. The latest was the Bucks having some interest. I was told New Orleans tried to get involved as a third team. Uh, obviously, Portland, as you said, nothing worked. It's a hard trade to make 
when the two centerpieces are Carmelo's giant contract and Ryan Anderson's uh, $60 million deal. Not a lot of teams want Ryan Anderson's contract any longer. Uh, and the Knicks are just hoping that Carmelo opens up the wish list and they could talk to more teams than just a Rockets uh, situation. Oklahoma City has expressed some interest. He's got to open up, uh, if he really wants out, he cannot depend on a Houston Rockets deal because it does not look like it's happening. Nothing is really shaking out. And the only good sign about him coming to training camp is he is working out with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Frank Nicolina at his gym in Manhattan. They've been playing a lot of pickup basketball. So if I had to bet right now, he's at training camp on September 24th. Look, the, the, the acrimony between Carmelo and Phil Jackson has been well documented. I mean, do you get the sense that Carmelo wants out, you know, basically no matter what? Or does removing Phil Jackson, you know, create any sort of, of opening for, for him to want to stay and finish his contract there? I mean, I think it helps a little bit, but Mills and Scott Perry both realize they'd be better off uh, in a full rebuild if they could trade Carmelo and get an asset or two for the future, a first-round pick, a young player, something. They just, you know, I think it's their first big move, and if it's if their first big move is waving Carmelo Anthony and not getting any assets out of it and just buying him out, it doesn't look good for them. So, listen, I think... One scenario pointed out in the paper recently, if they can reach the trade February 8th, I, I don't know the exact date, but I know the trade deadline is earlier this season. If they can't get anything done by then, then you just cut him. You know, buy him out. You make sure he forfeits his final optional year. And you let Carmelo sign with Cleveland or Houston or the Clippers or wherever. He's got you know a couple of months to get ready for the playoffs. That could be the ideal scenario. Carmelo becomes a good soldier for a few months and becomes a mentor and a good leader and and all that. And then come February, uh, if there's no trade on the horizon, you just cut ties. Do you think he'd forfeit that last year, though, Mark? That's a lot of money. Well, he's got, obviously, it's the player option, and it is close to $30 million, and he's not going to make that, for sure. Derek Rose found that out quickly. But listen, Carmelo has been relatively healthy. Uh, he did have that one knee surgery three years ago. Uh, but I really don't think money matters to him uh, anymore. I, honestly, I at this stage of his career, he's made so much money. I, I think he'd be willing uh, to forego at least a, a, a good chunk of that final year in a buyout in February if that allows him to go to Cleveland or to Houston or Oklahoma City for a few months. I mean, he would be a rental, but Carmelo knows at age 33, is there one more or two more years left in his prime at most? So I think he'd be willing to uh, forego most of that final year. So Scott Perry is brought in after a lot of the moves uh, that were made were actually made. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. was a Steve Mills specialty 
that to me was a, a, an incredible amount of money to a lot of people anyway. I thought Ron Baker was lunacy. Nobody was giving Ron Baker anywhere near that much money uh, on the open market. I mean, whose show is this? Is this going to be, you know, Steve Mills? Is, 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 is he going to operate as a personnel guy, as a decision maker, or, or is he going to cede real authority to Scott Perry? Scott Perry has a lot of authority, but the final say is definitely Steve Mills. Now, there's no question about it. That's very clear-cut. They've both said it. But Steve, uh, but Scott is going to run the day-to-day operations. He's going to make the phone calls to general managers. You know, Steve Mills did that under Phil. Phil never made a phone call. It was all Steve Mills, you know, doing those trade talks, and now Scott Perry will handle them. But uh, when push comes to shove, you know, uh, Scott's going to have to tell Steve, this is what I got on the table. You know, I like it. Do you like it? And it's up to Steve. I mean, how much Steve trusts Scott, we don't know yet. Uh, obviously, he hired him, thinks he's uh, has great experience from the three organizations he's worked with. But it is Steve Mills with the final say. Um, but, yeah, when you were referring to the Ron Baker Tim Hardaway Jr. situations. I thought the Baker thing was more lunacy than uh, Hardaway. Uh, Baker getting the room exception, which is almost $4 million for the season and with an uh, player option after that. Uh, Again, talking to agents, I'm sure you did too. They all said, and some league executives said, yeah, we look at him as a minimum player. Tim Hardaway Jr., listen, I've always liked him. Since the Knicks drafted him a few years ago, I thought it was terrible when they made the trade and got rid of him. Uh, at least he's 25 years old. He's getting better. He improved a lot defensively in Atlanta. He loves the Big Apple. He knows what it's like to play in New York, and that's no small thing. Some players come to New York and are deer, deer in headlights uh, playing at the Garden. So he knows the criticism he's going to get. Uh Yes, he overpaid Steve Mills, but he was afraid Atlanta liked Hardaway enough that he had to go a little beyond what he wanted, and he gave him that crazy deal. But, again, 25 years old, and he's getting better, and I'm not as horrified as some other people. I was horrified at the Rod Baker situation. Yeah, that, that's basically a two-year deal. I mean, he's he's picking up that player option. That's that's a two-year deal for uh, <laughs> yeah. for Ron Baker. Um, for people that are listening, Mark, that don't really fully grasp the dynamic between Mills and and James Dolan, who don't really understand why the the NBA's one of their flagship franchises being you know the day to day is being run by a guy that hasn't run any other teams and has basically been a business guy his whole life. Why, why do you think that Dolan continues to entrust? Uh, such important decision-making with Steve Mills and and does not go outside the organization, outside of his kind of inner circle to to hire somebody different. Yeah, well, he he hired Steve Mills, you know, almost four years ago to replace Glenn Grunwald, and he gave him only a few months on the job, and then he hired Phil Jackson, and I think Dolan felt a little guilty. Obviously, Dolan knows the Phil Jackson hire was a complete disaster and a mistake. And I think he felt a little guilty that he didn't give Mills more of a chance when he rehired him to be uh, the president GM back uh, after that 12-13 season. So he's giving him a second chance. But this, you know, you're right, it goes back to when he was the garden president 
uh, and Mills hired Isaiah Thomas, and they went through the sexual harassment suit. Dolan has always liked Steve. He trusts him. Uh, he thinks he, there's a lot of potential with Steve. He gets along very well with agents. You know, as a personnel guy, he hasn't proven himself yet. He didn't really get a chance to prove himself, you know, when he took over a few years ago. And it really does look like under Phil Jackson, Steve did not have a lot of say. I was told it was Phil Jackson and Clarence Gaines, Jr., who was the top advisor. He was the former Bulls scout that Phil Jackson hired. And essentially, whatever Clarence Gaines, Jr. wanted, Phil wanted. So, Steve didn't have a lot of say over these last three years, and I think Dolan wants to give him a second chance after pulling the plug on him so quickly uh, the last time around. So you alluded to it. They are going younger, uh, 25 and, and, and under, you know, just basically in in a full, normal kind of rebuild, Carmelo Anthony and his situation notwithstanding. I mean, what, what do you think that a, a post-Phil Jackson, post-triangle uh, uh sort of lineup looks like for Christos Porzingis. I mean, how do you think Hornacek will try to utilize him? Because, I mean, when you have a seven foot three guy that, that jacks threes like he does, I mean, the, the there are so many possibilities. What do you think Hornacek, maybe he, what he might have wanted to do with Porzingis but couldn't because of the triangle restrictions? I mean, are there, are there different things you can kind of project for, for how Porzingis will be used this season? Well, I haven't been streaming the games out in Europe. You know, he's out in, uh, playing the European Championships uh, for Latvia, but his numbers are terrific. Uh, he's scoring well over 20 points in each game. Uh, shooting, though, from the outside, I guess defensively he's playing center, but, you know, this is, you know, mediocre competition compared to the NBA. But I think when you mentioned Carmelo Anthony, I think that's one of the reasons they want him out of the picture. So Kristaps could be the number one option, especially late in games. One of the things with Kristaps is he's never gotten much of an opportunity to be the go-to guy in a close game, 20 seconds left, and the Knicks always go to Carmelo, and Carmelo never gives up the ball. I mean, that's the way you know, they, have it, they had it structured. And I think this season they want to see what Kristaps can do in the final minute. Carmelo has been a, a big disappointment uh, in his years with the Knicks uh, as a clutch player. He was so terrific in Denver as a final-minute closer. Uh, and then he came to New York, and I don't know if it became a mental block, but his shooting percentage in those close game uh, analytic stats are pretty brutal. So they want Kristaps to be the guy uh, early and late. And if Carmelo's on the court, you know, that's harder to do. So that's another reason they have a vision of a team without Carmelo this season. Let me finish with uh, a, a thought on Hornacek. I mean, he, Scott Perry is the day-to-day -day guy. He didn't hire Jeff Hornacek. It was a Phil Jackson uh, hire. What's your understanding of, of, of just how much, if any, pressure is on Jeff Hornacek this year? I mean, they're not going to be good. They're not going to be a playoff team. I mean, not, not with their... They're kind of in this this rebuild, but what does Steve Mills think of of Jeff Hornacek, and and what sh what are expectations on him this year? Yeah, that, that is a great question and one that we haven't thoroughly uh, ridden to. Listen, Steve Mills, I think would have hired David Blatt when the Knicks had their coaching search uh, before you know the prior season. Uh, 
you know, David Blatt was one of the candidates, Frank Vogel, and Jeff Hornacek was a dark horse. But Phil and Jeff got along terrifically uh, during the interview, and uh, they hit it off. And even though he wasn't a triangle guy, Phil made the hire, and Steve, you know, Steve doesn't have that type of power to say, no, we should do David Blatt. So I've speculated a little bit if, you know, Jeff doesn't, you know, work out and doesn't improve his relationships with, say, uh, Christoph Spurzingis. And if uh, the young guys don't improve this year, uh, I could see Scott Perry and Steve Mills uh, looking for a new head coach after the season. Again, David Blatt and Steve Mills go back to their Princeton days. They were teammates at Princeton. They are very close friends. Uh, Blatt is still in Europe. He really wants to come back to the NBA. Is it a right fit with the Knicks? I'm not 100% sure if it is a great fit with a very young team, but I I would definitely believe he'll be a candidate if Jeff Hornacek gets fired after the season. Should be interesting. Always is uh, in New York. Mark, uh, appreciate the time, man. Uh, Look forward to training camp, and uh, thanks for joining me. Oh, uh, thanks a lot, Chris. Anytime. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Jason Lloyd and Mark Berman for joining the show. As always, you can download archive podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.